Hey, all you rad dads out there. Hey, what's up, everybody? Rad Dad Brett here, bringing you another episode of the Rad Dads Show. On this episode, I had the opportunity to chat with Johnny Temple, who's well known as the bassist for DC post-hardcore bands Soulside and Girls Against Boys. He's also the founder of Akashic Books, an independent book publishing company who released books across the entire spectrum, from politics to mystery to kids' books. Akashic has been releasing books for nearly 25 years. Today, in addition to all that, Johnny also plays in punk rock supergroup Fake Names. But first and foremost, Johnny's a dad to two teenage boys, Arthur and Abraham, and we had a great chat about Johnny's parenting journey, from managing anxiety to biking adventures to stories about Johnny's own parents and their work as civil rights activists. We covered a lot. And of course, we talked about some of Johnny's current projects, like the Lyric Pop Kids books that Akashic's been releasing. These books take the lyrics from classic songs and transform them into an illustrated kids book that really highlight and put in a different context these words that have already resonated with so many of us as adults. And what parent out there wouldn't want bedtime to be narrated by Dee Snyder, the Pixies, or the Go-Go's? Anyway, without further delay, let's get into it. Here's Johnny Temple on the Rad Dads Show. So, Johnny, thank you so much for joining me on the Rad Dads Show today. Who are you? I'm, who am I? I am Johnny Temple. I am, I live in Brooklyn, New York. I was born and raised in Washington, D.C. And I've lived in Brooklyn now for 30 years. Um, I am a musician and a book publisher. Um, I, I run a book publishing company called Akashic Books. And um, we publish like 30 to 40 books a year. And um, I am also the father of two children. You may hear, hear them passing. Yeah. That's great. Um, I have two sons, Arthur and Abraham, who are 15 and 13. Okay. And um, I play music in three bands right now that are actually active. Um, two old bands, uh, Soulside, from which was a band that recorded with Discord Records right. in Washington, D.C., and Girls Against Boys, who put out albums with Touch and Go Records and Jade Tree and Geffen uh, and Adult Swim. I think those were our major, major record labels. Um, and then I'm in a new band called Fake Names. Um, Fake Names, okay. With uh, with some great musicians, so yeah, that's awesome. that's me. So two kids, bunch of bands. Your book publisher as well. A um, great wife. A great, I have a great wife, Cara, who's in a, uh, right now has a new job being executive director of a nonprofit in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Arts Exchange. Okay. So I have a powerhouse wife too. Wow. So yeah, you guys are busy. You must have a lot going on in your house right now. We 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 do there, a lot and nothing. Yeah, well, that's kind of the, the times, right? <laughs> Pandemic has kind of, in certain ways, slowed a lot of things down, but in other ways made it feel a lot more hectic. So, yeah. So, Johnny, do you consider yourself a rad dad? <laughs> I'm a pretty rad dad. I think so. Yeah. I, you know, like most people, I have my major deficits, my my glaring deficits, um, but um, but I do... I do bring I do bring it as a dad um, on on some levels that I know my kids appreciate and hopefully helps to make them better better guys. Yeah. So, how do you define uh, a rad dad? What does that mean to you? 
Um, I guess someone who's, who's very involved in the lives of their kids and, um, uh, brings energy and ideas, um, uh, and creativity to their interactions with their children, um, and is of course responsive to their children's needs. Um, but present, present is a good start. Yeah. (laughs) We know a lot of, a lot of men haven't been able to quite get to the first, the first stop of presence. Um, a lot of men have set such a low bar that unfortunately, perhaps it's a little bit easier to be a rad dad um, than, than it should be. Like, and, and you mean easier to, um, to meet that, that bar than maybe it would be for a mom to meet the bar for, for her? Is perhaps. that sort of what you mean? Perhaps. I do see the dad, dads will, I notice that. I notice it less now, now that my kids are older, but dads would get all sorts of props for doing things that are more sort of like taken for granted from, from women and moms. Um, but having said that, I know a lot of rad dads. So, yeah. So, so that, you know, being present, that's the the first step. And then, I mean, you talked about some other things like um, creativity. So how important is that to your family? I imagine quite important given your, your background, but how does that fit into your family dynamic? It's it, not, it doesn't, it's not really part of the family dynamic on an explicit overt level. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's like the creativity is sort of in us. Um, and so I, I'd like, I think both my wife and I live creative lifestyles in, in the, in the work that we do creativity is, is, is part of the fabric of our daily lives. And I think that that, um, that um, is conveyed to our kids, but again, not, not, it's not something we're necessarily talking about. Um, and, yeah, or, or forcing it on them or something like that. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, an appreciation of art, of course, is, is important and music and stuff, but it's, of course, you know, it's a tricky business trying to turn your kids onto the art and the music that, that you like yeah it's funny how they though especially when they're younger but yeah i mean talk to lots of dads i I have young kids two and five but um i've talked to uh, dads of teenagers and and older kids as well and that sort of continues on something i certainly notice your kids pick up on what what you're interested in they they may not be that interested in it but they're kind of um, excited that you're interested in it you know so that's kind of a neat neat thing and so having that kind of culture around you you know, by, by the very nature of that exposes them to it. Yep. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, um, our kids are, are lucky to be around my, my wife, I should also say, um, used to be a modern dancer. She, okay. she was, a, and in, in fact, she was, um, danced within a phenomenal Canadian dance company based in Montreal company, Marie Schwinnard, okay. which is like a, a groundbreaking award-winning transgressive, beautifully, um, you know, curated. And, um, anyway, it's, it's a wonderful dance company. And, and when I first started dating my wife, she was actually living in Montreal, but, but so that's, that's another aspect. She works, she runs an arts organization now, but she herself is also an artist. Oh, very cool. So, yeah, I mean, this is like you said, but you know, part of the fabric, (laughs) both of your beings, right? So I'm, I'm, 
curious, are, are your kids sort of interested in, in music? Um, you're active still, you've been active for many years in music. Not particularly. My kids aren't, aren't that, they like music, of course, um, but they're not, they don't have like an, a sophisticated engagement with, with music. They kind of go in and out of it and they've sort of played it, you know, taken some music lessons and stuff, but no, they're not that. But I, 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 I certainly became much more involved with music in my late high school and then college years is when it really, and I, I hadn't been like a musician from being a little kid. Of course, I had taken music lessons and whatnot when I was a kid, but I really became a musician at age like 16, 17, 18. Um, so, so I hold out for my kids that music will become a more impor important part of, of their lives um, as they as they grow older. And it's fine if it doesn't. It's totally fine if it doesn't. But but you know, music is one of my first loves. So I'd yeah. like to, to share it with them on a. And there's a lot we can share about music, but I'd like to be able to go deeper with them. Yeah. But it's not, it's not a hole in my life. Right. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. One of those things. I mean, we always, as parents, you always kind of want your kids um, or hope that they are interested in the things that you're interested in and, you know, in some ways turn out just like you. Um, but you know, it's their journey too. Right. So absolutely. Um, yeah. I think you can sometimes push them away from that if you try and force it too much. So just kind of have to let it be. Um, so I'm curious, Johnny, where were you in your career? Um, like kind of take me back to when you first had, it would have been Arthur, I guess, is your oldest, right? Yeah, so when you had Arthur, whereabouts were you sort of in your career and your journey? Were you playing music at that time? That was 2005 when he was born. And I stopped being like a full-time musician around 2002. And I started, I played music like very seriously <clears throat> and often as my profession from basically like 1988 to 2002. That was when music was my primary occupation for those years. And then, but I started publishing on a sort of hobby level in 1997. Okay. So there was this period between 1997 and 2002 where I was publishing books, just a few books, one or two books a year while still being a full-time professional musician. And then around 2000, 2001, 2002, I sort of segued from being a full-time musician to being a full-time book publisher, who also do, doing some music. But music really at that point took sort of a backseat to um, book publishing and, um, and then starting a family, um, you know, having kids. Right. And, and then in the past, where we can come circle back around to this later, but in the past year or two, music has become much more a part of my life. But <clears throat> it's a long way of saying that at 2005, when the first kid was born, I was, you know, mostly a book, mostly a book publisher, still doing occasional gigs <clears throat> with the band Girls Against Boys, it's particularly in Europe. Over the years, we've played a lot of festivals and shows in Europe but that was sort of more as a side thing, okay. you know. Um, so going going through a transition in your life in kind of more ways than one, kind of moving from music to book publishing is kind of your main gig. Plus now you've got a a baby. Were, yeah. were you, did you have any fears about becoming a dad? Anyone? Any fears? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I, I was, I think I could have gone on not being a dad. <clears throat> um, I, I had fears, um, you know, the regular financial fears, also the, you know, what happens to one's social life, one, what happens to one's hobbies, etc. But I'm really good at compartmentalizing. So my, the fears didn't like, they didn't really drive me crazy. I wasn't, I'm a very anxious person. I carry, as, as are I think most people in this era that we live in, mm -hmm. it's a very anxious era. Um, and I say that simply because it really does seem to me that 25 years ago, people, there was less anxiety. Um, but so I carry a lot of anxiety. I always have in all my life. And anxiety is like an engine for me. Um, so I wouldn't say that the fears of being a parent added substantially to the level of anxiety that I already routinely haul along with me. Right. So, yeah. So I think everybody has those, you know, certain little fears and, and almost kind of wondering what's life going to look like afterwards. But what you're sort of saying is it wasn't something that, you know, you were kind of terrified <laughs> when the baby came or anything like that. It's really, I'm really good at like, I'm, I might not, I'll be fully in the moment once the moment is there. Yeah. But I, there are things that'll make me anxious, have anticipatory anxiety. Yeah. But with the, um, I think I was too, I, I do a pretty good job of living in the moment, you know? And so I, you know, there are lots of things I should have been anxious about, but you know, again, my anxiety plate's pretty full. Right. Right. And, and so did, did becoming a dad, did it change you at all? Um, or, or maybe in what ways, maybe if you could describe, did it change you? Definitely, definitely fundamentally changed me. Um, uh, I had some insights into, you know, the big questions in life. Um, I was raised Jewish, but I'm, um, I'm an atheist and I've been an atheist for many years. Um, and so I liked about having kids, like having this higher purpose. That's almost mm -hmm. like a religion. It's something outside of you. That's more important than you are. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that changed me is it sort of gave me a, a really good religion substitute. Um, something that's, you know, this thing to liberate, even though I think in some ways having children is the ultimate most selfish and self-centered and egoistic act. On the other hand, it does put, it does pull something outside of your focus is, is, is not on yourself. It's on, it's on something else, someone else. And again, it's more important than you are. So that was, that was one of the ways that I changed. Um, and on a, t a, a related level, as soon as I had a, you know, it's like the, almost like the, might've been the day my first child was born was like, Oh, I understand war now. Like I understand why people kill each other because this helpless little thing, I would absolutely, if I was forced to, I would have to kill to protect this thing. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit related to like the religion substitute, again, having something that you would kill for. And that was, it gave me, you know, and then realizing of course that a majority of the people on the planet do have children and go through this. Yeah. And so it sort of gave me a little bit more of an insight into what, an aspect of humanity. Lots of people don't also don't have kids. So I'm not going to say that part of being human is having children. That's bullshit and not true. 
but but um, it is a common experience to have to have kids, and um, yeah, made me understand war. Yeah, you. I, I think kind of you know what I'm kind of hearing from you there is it, it almost like, and people kind of describe this in different ways, but um, maybe teaches you a bit more empathy. Is that maybe part of it? Like kind of ability to kind of understand you know, other people's motivations and, and things know. a little bit better, or, or maybe, maybe it's, sure. you could talk about kind of, you know, taking you out of yourself and giving you that sort of higher purpose. So maybe it's that um, change from kind of that self, maybe self-centered, which I don't mean to sound like a bad thing. Um, and that, you know, people who don't have kids are self-centered. I don't, I don't mean to say that, but maybe that's part of it too. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting question about empathy. I, I think empathy probably does figure into how how I think about it, but I haven't been thinking of that word. Um, I maybe don't want to be quite that generous with my own self-assessment. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's really interesting, um, you know, kind of looking at it like a, a bit of a higher purpose or maybe having, you know, having maybe given up sort of that, um, I guess that idea in terms of religion, but now applying this in terms of like your purpose being caring for this child and the development of this child. I think a lot of people feel like, as I talk, you know, talk to dads on this show, I think a lot of people feel like they don't want to sort of, um, or they feel like it's cheesy or something to admit that your kids give you purpose in life. But I, I think it's very common and I think it makes a lot of sense, right? That I would think, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it seems obvious, you know, that they, uh, it doesn't mean that it's a good purpose or a bad purpose, but it gives you purpose yeah. and hopefully it's a good purpose. But again, I, I, um, I think that as human, as a species, having a sense of purpose is psychologically helpful. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, I'm curious, I'm I'm not religious, but I respect religion because, I mean, I don't, I don't respect all religion and I have huge problems with institutionalized religion, but I am comfortable with this notion that we need psychological crutches as, mm -hmm. as a human to make it through the, you know, the beautiful tragedy that is the world that we live in. <laughs> we need our crutches. Um, and religion is one of them. And, and, Parenthood is a, is a major other one. It's also a big distraction, you know, the sense of, and that's why it goes to the sense of purpose, not necessarily in some positive way, but in a sense of purpose, a distraction. Um, we need to sublimate. I think I, this psychological concept of subl sublimation, sublimating your core base desires into sort of, <laughs> so, you know, and, and that's what to me, like actually like a lot of book publishing and music and, music making and creativity is just a way of sort of channeling, channeling energy in a positive, in either a positive direction or a non-destructive direction. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And that's something that I think comes up uh, with a, a lot of parents, I think in general is being a parent can be really tough. And I think there is a, a real possibility that you, you can lose some of yourself in that. Um, Definitely. And so having some of those outlets can be helpful in so many ways, right? Whether it's channeling energy in a positive way or, you know, creating something, but even just kind of maintaining a sense of yourself. 
Yeah. Um, now you, you've kind of talked a little bit as we're chatting about anxiety. Um, and I agree with you. I think it is a lot more common now than it used to be. Um, we live in a world. When I trap pre pandemic, I've traveled a lot and different places, whether it's Asia or spent a lot of time in the Caribbean all over America. So when I'm talking about, I'm not just saying like here in New York city, it seems like a lot of people are anxious. I see anxiety like worldwide. (laughs) Well, I think there's a lot more going on in the world and we, we, we know a lot more about what's happening. We have a lot more information coming in. Um, I'm curious, like you said, this has been something that you have kind of dealt with for a long time. So I I would say, um, maybe especially with young kids, but uh, as time goes on, I'm sure it's the same. Um, Like being a parent is quite anxiety inducing at times. So, you know, how have you kind of managed to to deal with that? You kind of talked about compartmentalization. Is that kind of the primary strategy for dealing with that? Because I think that's something a lot of parents deal with is kind of the stress and the anxiety, you know, and maybe not having that filter down to your kids. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm lucky to have a life where uh, art is a big part of it, music and literature. And, you know, reading, actually, I will say, is sort of my, the closest I have to like meditation and it's not meditation, but it's the closest I have. Um, but reading is, I've been a pub, book publisher since 1997, but reading has perhaps never been more important to me. Um, but also since the pandemic, since the pandemic yeah. started, but, but also with having kids and, 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 and music has resurged in my life, but I find a lot of solace in, music and literature, even music and literature that have very difficult themes or disconsolate literature, it's still a solace and a balm Mm -hmm. for me. Um, so that's, that's a, that's a, that's a big part of it. And then I have my, you know, you know, there's the, there's the alcohol and related habits. Coffee is, important but although i don't coffee doesn't reduce anxiety but it does provide happiness yeah for sure yes we all kind of find those ways to 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 deal with those things so um okay so had your first child um in 2005 um we talked about how fatherhood has maybe changed you a little bit What, what what do you find are the most rewarding things about being a dad seeing how cool my kids are and how what good people they are um you know to the core i I love both my boys and i'm endlessly inspired by them they're very different from each other and um uh so that's that's really um that's inspirational um and wait, what exactly was your question again? So it, it, my question was, what, what are the most rewarding aspects rewarding of being a dad? So yeah, you're talking about seeing who your child becomes. Yeah, that, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, and it was really fun as the kids started to get older to, to watch them um, work towards independence, which is something that, you know, you, you're obviously earlier on than where I'm at. Um, but but you're you're far enough along so that you're seeing your kids' growth towards independence, and I'm not talking about like financial independence. I just mean autonomous little beings. Yeah, 
And that's rewarding to me to, 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 to see them become, acquire wisdom along the way and intelligent, build their intelligence and, um, and just become independent. And for me, one of the things that I loved to do is to do like physical activities with them, like whether it's skiing or in my case, my older son and I take very long bike rides, like multiple multi-day bike rides. And that's, that's been among the most rewarding activities or events. We started when he was nine years old, me and him and his friend Ramon, and they're on these tiny little bicycles. We did a little, um, three day, 60 mile bike ride, which was fun. And, and so that was when he was nine. And then this past summer when he was 14, not yet 15, um, me and him and two of his friends did a, a 500 mile bike ride from Buffalo, New York to Brooklyn, to our home in Brooklyn. Wow. And, um, that's super rewarding, um, and fun as hell. Uh, just, just about the funnest thing since I, activity, since I became a, a, a dad. And that's only one of my two kids and my, my other kid, I also do some special and fun things with, but that's sort of the, the sort of grandest parenting achievement I've had, um, you know, and, and, and brings me an endless amount of joy. Oh, that's really cool. So you guys have kind of found something that you're both really interested in doing and kind of connecting on that one thing. And, and physical activity is kind of interesting in that way, because it's very, like, you're very focused on that thing that you're doing, right? You're not distracted by those other things. So is that sort of part of it too? Is that well, that's part of it. And one of the nice things about biking is with both my kids, but particularly my older boy, Arthur, sometimes like trying to engage him in conversation. If you come at him straight and be like, talk to me about X, you know, it's like he gets a little skittish sort of dodging it. But yeah. when you're on a long bike ride and there's long periods and then you're biking a lot of time in silence, but we would, we'd end up, end up like talking a lot more on a day spent bike riding than you talk on a day spent not bike riding. So it's this great, there's this sort of meditational aspect of mile after mile after mile of biking, but the, and, but then sort of socially and conversationally, you can just sort of these different moods and periods of the day of the biking day. So it's really, really quality time. Um, uh, and and so yeah, there's the the physical activity of it is a big part of it. But biking is is somewhat unique in the in the in the sense that you can be doing this very you can be exerting so much while also holding a, a long conversation. Yeah. Oh, that's really neat. It's neat to hear how you guys have kind of found that activity to to and bond over. I highly recommend this to 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 rad dads and to rad moms and rad non-binary parents is that you can in post pandemic I'm talking, but like you can, um, although I've done this during the pandemic, but like you can bike 20 miles and you rent a cheap motel. Yeah. And then, you know, you can create like a little loop in whatever city or County or wherever you are, but with like the cheap motel thing by making it like a multi-day thing and the, the, the bike rides don't even have to be long, but it adds this element of adventure. You can also go camping if you're super ambitious. But for me, if I'm going to spend 
six hours biking with two or three kids starting when they're nine, it actually takes a lot of psychological energy to be like minding the safety of everybody. Yeah. Safety gets a lot. The more you do it, it gets much safer because you, you learn how to do it. My rides now are much safer than when my kid was nine years old, sadly. But my point is make some motel rentals and it's a great adventure with, with kids. Yeah. I like the word adventure. I think yeah. that's something that kids love. Right. And, and, when I think back to, you know, my, my best memories uh, with my family when I was younger, it was those times that really felt like an adventure, whether it was a vacation or it was, yeah, you mentioned camping, those types of things, those really stick with you. And it's an adventure for the kids. An adventure is one of the things that you lose that a lot of well, that rad dads lose because when your kids are young, your lifestyle is such that there, it doesn't, it's not conducive to adventure. Yeah. But then like my kid was nine, not that old and we could get on bikes and go and then sleep where we're going. And yeah, so that was, that was the opening of adventure back into my life as a parent was, was sort of like, again, this kids moving towards independence and these kids are now so independently mobile at nine that you can take a long, longish bike ride. So it's, brings them adventure and brings and, and restores adventure. Yeah. Restores it for, for you as well as a parent. Yeah. yeah to totally. kind of connect back to what we talked about before about yeah. sometimes feeling like you lose some of that. Yeah. Which, yeah, which you often do have a lot of in, in your youth and kind of those years immediately preceding having children for many people. Um, those are kind of your, your most adventurous years for in a lot of cases. So it can be quite hard to come to terms with that. So I like that. That's really neat. Um, Johnny, are you, are you able to share what your relationship was like with your dad? Yeah. Um, I had an awesome dad, um, also awesomely flawed, um, like most of us. I mean, you know, like even my favorite people, well, as we all know, (laughs) we, we all carry a lot of darkness inside of us. Um, but my dad was a, was a, um, larger than life character. He was a bit of a lion. Um, he was, so what do you mean by lion? He was a big, he was a big guy. Physic, I'm like five ten. My dad was like six, two. Um, he was a striking, I don't look actually as I've gotten older, I look a little bit like him, but I don't really look like him. My dad is looks ethnic you know, that side of my family, that's the Jewish side of my family. And my dad was born in London and he has, he had a big head of black curly hair, sort of olive skin, a big nose. He, he, he was sometimes mis- mistaken for being like a light skinned African American. Um, and he was a passionate man who he came over from England he was born in 1932 in England, and when he was nine years old, the Nazis were bombing England. He was Jewish. <clears throat> the Nazis were, you know, yeah. Nazis. And so my dad, even though he's not technically a Holocaust, so my dad d- died um, about 10 years ago, by the way. Oh, but sorry. he wasn't like, sometimes if you say a Holocaust survivor, that sort of means you were liberated from a camp, I think, maybe. But my dad felt that he was a Holocaust survivor because the Nazis were bombs were exploding in the streets of London. And when they left on a boat, he and his mom, his dad stayed back, eventually came over to the U S 
but my grandmother and my dad got on a boat and boats were getting sunk in the harbor. So he carried with him this deep Jewish rage, um, uh, this fire, and he was a lion, and my dad could roar. When my dad yelled, it was a frightening, frightening thing. Um, and, but when he came to America, he felt that America had saved his life, and America was this land that held up this virtue of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so my dad was sort of the ultimate immigrant. With, who really bought into the American dream. He ended up becoming a lawyer. Um, he went to Harvard Law School, and um, but he ended up becoming a civil rights lawyer. And he did like stupendous civil rights work starting in the mid-1960s. Um, and he had the opportunity um, to work alongside Martin Luther King once. Wow. And he went on to become... He went on to run the American Civil Liberties Union in Washington, D.C., the National Capital Chapter, which was the D.C. He wasn't the national head of the ACLU. He was the head of the D.C. ACLU. But that's where, you know, a lot of like doing a lot of work, like fighting on behalf of people's right to protest um, in front of the White House. My dad defended the Nazis' right to protest, which was insane that he did that, given what he went through and given what that threatened to his relations with his, within his own family. Right. Um, and he did this just great work. And the thing is, he was a warrior. He was a lion. He fought for justice, you know, based on this immigrant's dream and an immigrant who fled the Nazis. He, he, he sublimated, he channeled that yeah. into his legal work. And you didn't want to go head to head with this guy. This guy would rip your head off. Um, and, uh, so he was, to me, he was a, a hero in that way, also a scary person. Um, and that wasn't always positive, but he didn't, he didn't, um, he didn't like physically assault me or anything like that. Yeah. Um, my sister got a little bit of some physical stuff, not, you know, I wouldn't say child abuse, but he was a scary man and there was always the threat of violence, um, but I don't want to talk too much about that because that's not how I think of him. Right. But it is part of the profile to kind of capture how larger than life and how strong this man is. And he was very handsome, his physical presence. Um, so he was just a big, powerful person. And he he loved the crap out of me and my sister and would have killed for us. So... Do, do you, your dad sounds like an amazing person. Personally. He was. I'm and still you know, <laughs> taking in what you've told me. There was me. a lot of like a lot of, you know, from his generation, there was a lot of things that fathers should have been doing that they weren't doing. Um, part of that was culture, but also part of that is like, you know, some men still rose to the challenge. And my dad was hands-on. But it was, you know, there was some of this sort of traditional roles. My, my kids and I were latchkey kids. Our mom was also an amazing lawyer. She was a public defender. So she was also like a total wow. a hero. She's also a total hero to me. But in all this incredible legal work, my parents were both doing on behalf of the poor and right. the underserved. 
um, and they discriminated against. That left me and my sister alone a lot. So right. there was a lot of, we were latchkey kids. Um, and I think my dad didn't think it was his responsibility to, you know, be, be there for us after school. And my mom, he probably just thought, he thought that was my mom's responsibility, but she was also too busy for that as well. <laughs> so, so we were left, we were left to our own devices and, and I'm not, I'm not scarred because of it. I have no, yeah. I have an incredible upbringing. Um, so well, I think part, part of, part of the situation. Yeah. And some of the things you're talking about too, I, I think there is a, you know, there's generational differences there too, in terms of the way, you know, the, the traditional roles that parents played and, and things like that. So that probably factors in somewhat and you, you kind of um, alluded to that as well. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm wondering, like given, you know, your, your dad and, and what he sort of uh, fought for and what he felt was important and kind of like, almost rooting for the underdog kind of thing. Is that part of why you got into the, the, the scene that you did musically? So, you know, that punk rock kind of scene, I mean, DC at that time, I mean, totally um, a game changer in terms of the history of, of punk rock music. And you were part of that. So it, like, did that sort of play into that? Did you have some of that kind of same fire within you that you kind of absorbed from your dad? Yeah. Yep. Absorbed from my dad, from my mom, um, and um, from some of the people that we had in our lives, but also the city, Washington, growing up in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. was also a, um, it's a great place to grow up. But I think a lot of people who grew up in, grew up in Washington, D.C., a lot of white people are... Um, a little more at that time were a little bit more aware of this concept of racial injustice, um, discrimination. Um, now I'm not going to credit all, all white people in DC. I'm certainly not trying to paint myself as some sort of saint at all. Um, but I did growing up in DC with both my parents had done civil rights work, but then I had this experience of going to private school in Washington, D.C., and then switching to public school. And that was a big piece of my, um, my own education around issues of racial disparity, racial discrimination. Um, but a lot of people from Washington grew up with, with a little bit more of an integrated upbringing. I'm not saying fully integrated at all. I'm just saying as when I, when I went to college, I noticed this, that, that I realized when I was, you know, going to these, all these other kids from the same sort of economic background as me, but I felt super fortunate to have had a good education, both under my, the, the role modeling of the work that my parents did combined with my own social education of having grown up in a majority African-American city and seeing up close and personal how that plays out in education, how that plays out you know, in the way white kids get treated differently than black kids by the cops. If you're a white kid growing up in DC, you see, you see this, yes. it then doesn't become this thing of like trying to be like, no cops treat everybody the same. Like you grow up in DC, regardless where you go to school, regardless who your parents are. If you're, if you're out and about in the city at that time, you saw how cops treated African-American people, particularly boys and men. Yeah. 
amazing. I mean, it's kind of like this perfect storm of things that kind of came together to also to create that scene that you became so involved in, right? Um, and that was a big part of that scene was, um, yeah, that human kind rights. of civil rights movement and human rights and, yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's kind of neat to see how that was really a, a big part of you, not just sort of getting involved in the scene when you're 18 years old, but that really was part of who you were as you grew up. Yeah. There's this organization in the punk world, a group, Positive Force DC, that was the organization that, or maybe organization isn't the right word, group, um, that would like host most of the benefit concerts that DC bands like Fugazi and all the bands before them would, and, and after them would, would, would play. And that was a nice element of the DC punk world is that there were actual like corollary groups so that like in DC, you could be pulled into punk rock, even though like maybe your primary interest was social justice issues. Like actually for me, like punk was never my favorite musical form. I, I do love some punk, punk rock. I, I, I love it as a genre. I love it as, I love what it's given rise to. But when I'm listening to music on my own, and even back then, I listened to a lot of punk, but particularly certain bands, mm-hmm. Bad Brains, Minor Threat, you know, yeah. But um, there aren't like dozens of dozens and dozens of punk rock bands that I love, but I loved the commitment to human rights and equality that was a part of the segment of the DC punk scene that I was fortunate to be part of. Now, you know, punk, there's also Nazis or Nazi punks, and there always have been. Me and my bandmates were just talking about this, you know, the dead Kennedys wrote Nazi punks fuck off in what year was that? 82, 83. The Nazis were there in America, American punk from, from the get go. That was always, it wasn't like punk got corrupted. You know, it was just, there was different segments of what punk means and punk was never supposed to mean a social clique or a social group. But, um, but I was fortunate to be exposed to this, but it was like one of the things positive forces, one of the things that helped, pull me into the DC punk scene. It wasn't the only thing, but it was, it was being able to like hang, hang, work with other punks to help staff, staff overnight shifts at a homeless shelter. To me, that was a big part of what drew me to punk is that, that spirit, the do, the do it yourself thing, not just to making music, but to trying to make the world a better place. DC, there was punk percussion protests. People were, you know, bringing their creativity full force to their, to their political protests. So I, I want to kind of connect this back to what you're doing today and talk a little bit about, you know, what you're up to these days. Um, so Akashic, how, how long has Akashic been? Has that been since 97? Mm-hmm. 97, we published our first book, which was a novel by a New York City writer named Arthur Nersessian, a novel called The Fuck Up. Okay. which is a great, a great novel. It was in our first book and now we're like 500 books in. Yeah. So as I, you know, look at your, your website and all the books that you um, have, have put out, it seems like inclusivity is a bit of a theme of, of your publishing as well. There's a very diverse range of types of books and subjects. And so is that kind of all, all connected to that same, same 
It's connected to my tastes and how my tastes, I wouldn't actually say inclusivity. I would, uh, to me, we publish the best books we can get our hands on. Yeah. And, um, that makes it a very diverse list, but it's, it's not so much about inclusivity. It's more about an aesthetic vision about what I and the people I work with think makes a great book. We just, what we think are great books. And you have Um, some great, great books for families and for kids too. Yeah. We, and we started after we, I was always interested in publishing like children's books, but it was great. Then as a book publisher, you become a parent and then, um, you're suddenly an expert on children's books. You, I'm sure you, Brett, are an expert on children's books. And any other rad dads or rad moms or rad, rad non-binary parents watching, I'm sure they are experts at children's books too. So it made it, it finally I was able to, it's, when you're a book publisher, the concept is you're like an expert, like you've got great tastes and then you bring a level of expertise to the packaging of the book, to the marketing of it, to the selling it, like the whole aspects. That's what a, that's what a book publisher is, is you bring expertise to every aspect of, of that process. So it's hard to publish books in a genre that you're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. So then becoming a children's book expert by being simply by being a parent was very helpful. And we've gotten... We now publish a lot of children's books, not just picture books for kids. Um, and I'm hoping I can talk a little bit about some of these picture books. Um, Definitely. But, but, um, but also middle grade books and also young adult books. And so Akashic, we continue to publish a lot of books for adults. But these days our list is about half books for young readers. Interesting. And over time it'll change. We're not trying to say this is the way we're going to be always but I didn't, I didn't expect it to become such an important part of our list. Yeah. And, and there's a couple books I know for sure, as I was looking at uh, your website that I hadn't realized you guys had put out that I, you know, and I know lots of uh, listeners would be really familiar with like go the fuck to sleep and you know, the books in that series, which are, you know, I, I know it's sort of a kid's version of that book, but it's really uh, for parents, right? Yeah, as well. parents. Um, so yeah, those would be some some really popular ones. Tell me what what um, what you guys have going on right now that that's exciting. So the, one of the things I want to talk about, and which ties directly to what we were talking earlier, is this idea of kids kids listening to music and mm-hmm. what you're, are you, do you expose your kids to, or are they drawn to? So we were approached um, about the idea of doing this. And then subsequently launched this music, this children's picture book series uh, um, called Lyric Pop. And what the idea, the concept is, is that you take the words of a, of a song that you that we, we love and we license the rights to use those lyrics. And then we create, we get the, it illustrated and turn it into a children's picture book. So, for example, like this, Good Vibrations. Cool. Um, which was written by Mike Love and Brian Wilson of the Beach, uh, yeah, the Beach Boys, and illustrated. We got this illustrator Paul Hope to illustrate it, and um, so the book is is the lyrics of the book are exactly just the the text of the book is exactly the lyrics of the song, same for like these boots are made for walking, yeah. and that's awesome. We're not going to take it by D. Snyder, and so 
the text is just the song. And then we get, you know, we get them illustrated each book by a different illustrator. So this is, this might not look like a twisted sister song, (laughs) but, um, but, um, but D, but D Snyder likes, you know, it's like, and the idea is actually to create a book that's in the spirit of the song, but that is, but that is for children. So it's obviously, we're we're not going to be using songs that have a lot of profanity in them or any profanity in them because we're not changing a comma. We're not changing a word. Um, and it's really fun sitting on the dock of the bay, respect the, the, you know, Otis Redding song that Aretha Franklin famously performed. And we have, I'll, I'll get out of like salesman mode in a second, but, uh, but I am, no, it's cool. I love this series and I'm excited about it, but we have a Pixies song. Where is my mind yeah. written by Frank black by black Francis. Yeah. And we have like a cold play, um, you know, a book of a song uh, based on cold play. And, and, and um, anyway, it's like the ultimate way for parents or grandparents to brainwash their kids yeah. with the music that they love. So love if you that. love the Pixies and you want to turn your kids onto it, at, at age one, start reading to them, Where Is My Mind? Yeah. And, which is also sensationally illustrated. These books look really cool. They're totally badass children's picture books. And so anyway, it's a whole series that we're doing and it's super fun. But I love... I love the um, covertness of it, of like the sort of how to brainwash your kids. Right. You know, it's a new series, but in, you know, six years we can look and see, did it work? Did you get your kid to love that Beach Boys song? (laughs) Yeah, I can can only imagine uh, what that would look like, you know your child's eyes lighting up when they hear where is my mind for the first time and go, I recognize these words. Although, although part of it, part of the, part of it is that you play the song and then yeah, it's yeah. a way, it's a, it's a way to like pull your kid into, you can sing it along. Yeah. You, 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 you can, you know, sing along, sing the song with them. Um, so it's really, it's super fun. And, and also just like where I love all different types of music. And for example, like my, Maybe my favorite music is like is reggae music. I'm a I'm a total total reggae head. So I am just this is African, the Peter Tosh song, yeah. and it's beautifully illustrated by Rachel Moss, who's a uh, Jamaican illustrator. And wow. so we're doing like country songs, reggae songs, pop songs, rock songs. You know, it's we want to cover a whole bunch of different genres. This isn't just for like hipster rad dads yeah. it can also be for country music loving and rad dads yeah. and reggae music dads and you guys I, I looked on your website you've got a lot of books in that series we've seen a lot here but you've got a whole bunch coming out later this year too yep yep i will survive yeah. um yeah we got got a got a got a whole slate of books um coming so it's yeah it's a fun it's a fun fun series and a fun way to one of the things that was cool about publishing children's books is just, just changing things up and also a new challenge for us, yeah. you know, keeping, keeping ourselves on our toes of tr- trying to find new ways to sell books and just keep, keep the process of publishing books sort of electric and exciting. Yeah. And, and this series, you know, it's like when you get the book back from the printer and you look at it and you're a, me, Johnny, I'm a huge Peter Tosh fan. I've been a Peter Tosh fan pretty much my whole life. And then to see like Peter Tosh's name on the cover of an Akashic book is just yeah. like, okay, I can retire now. Yeah, my work awesome. here is done. 
Yeah. And I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, you know, as, as parents, you'd often do lots of reading with your kids and reading books that they're interested in, but it is a, a really different feeling. Those books uh, that you read with your kids that you're both very interested in and both, you know, you both kind of bring that energy to that experience. And so um, I can imagine that would be the case with these ones. Yeah. And when your kid does that hellish demonic thing of like making you read the same book yes. like five times, these books are <laughs> super short and then it's much easier to read a book five times when it's a song that you like. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's okay, awesome. Maybe I'll try to stop sounding so, so salesman-y. Let's see no, no, that's that. great. I, I was immediately drawn to that collection of books um, <laughs> last night when I was looking at your website. So that's great. Um, anything else that you've got going on? I know you said you're still, um, you're, you guys are playing music. So Girls Against Boys are playing music right now. Yeah, we're, we're, we're um, all three of my bands that I'm, active with now soul side girls against boys and fake names we're all working on music actively right now um engaged in conversations and um home recording you know it's it's very different to work on songs during the pandemic yeah but um me and my buddies have gotten into a really good groove of how to, how to work on songs together remotely. And, um, it's, it's been a really, really nice. I've just sort of just before this conversation all morning, I've been just working on music here, um, with my, my bass guitar and my, um, my interface right here and my all important headphones and this great room that I'm in, I'm this room, my family lives in the house we've been living in for a while, but we moved on to a different floor and I have this office, which just is very conducive to reading and making music and whatnot. So, um, it's yeah, been, I've a, been it, noticing it, your, your nice fireplace behind you too there. Yeah. It's not an active fireplace. Yeah. There's a base, a small base amp in it right now. Um, but, um, it's been a, a very fertile, fertile time for me for just like my, Again, music, music and literature, it's just, it's, it's, it's always, it's, they've long been preoccupations of mine. Um, but they're, my, my head and my heart are, are feeling super nourished, um, during these horrible, horrible times. I'm not trying to say anything, I'm not trying to say anything about the times we live in, psychological challenges of, of, you know, thank God, uh, Donald Trump is gone, um, and that that was is helpful for to have him be gone. But but yeah. but um, we still live in a wildly racist society, and um, I'm just fortunate to be able to have the access to music and literature, and be and and live a life that that has a lot of that in it. Um, I'm super super lucky. Yeah, we've had to um, certainly that's part of your life in general but uh, we I do find that's one thing during this pandemic people have had to find and connect with those things that that bring them joy and and you said nourish nourish them right and um, because it is a very draining time the last year has been very draining in a lot of ways so Johnny I want to thank you for your time today this has been really great chatting with you uh, I'm really excited to to 
uh, see your new books that are coming out in the Lyric Pop series. Um, I hope some listeners out there will go check those out as well. Um, I think, you know, whenever we hear about books that are fun to read with our kids, we jump on those. So uh, I'm, I'm guessing you'll probably have some visits to your website from our listeners. So that's great. Great. Um, thank you. Thank you for having me um, and talking talking to me. It's been a great conversation. And, um, you know, as you get a little bit older, you know, I'm not... You know, my kids are 13 and 15. Your relationship to parenthood evolves. That's also, sorry to go on, but that's also a little no, bit of okay. part of that. Being able to have so much music and books in my life, my kids, the age that my kids are at are, is part of the pandemic. There's a lot of things that go into it, but um, but um, it's also a reflection of my kids' age. But um, but you've been a very, very nice to speak with. Yeah, it's been great chatting with him. Yeah, looking forward to seeing what... Uh what you have coming down uh, the road here. So thank you so much for your time today. Take care. All right, that was Johnny Temple on the Rad Dad Show. Thanks so much to Johnny for joining us. For those listening out there, go pick up some Lyric Pop books to read with your kids. And if you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you drop us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for more Rad Dads content, find us wherever you get your podcasts or give us a follow on social media. On Instagram, you can find us at at rad underscore dads underscore show and on Facebook and Twitter at at rad dads show. And now you can also look us up on YouTube for some video interviews as well, including this one. Lastly, Rad Dads is first and foremost a community organization aimed at positive parenting. You can check out what we do over at raddadsyeg.com. That's raddadsyeg.com. Thanks for tuning in. In the meantime and in between time, stay rad.